everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Downline. I'm Brevin Honda alongside Kyle Betts. How are you doing, Kyle? Doing well. It's good to be back. And uh, we are just concluding the NBA season and we're right in the middle of the MLB season. So uh, it's a good time in sports. We're right in the thick of the dog days of summer, right as the Olympics are here. And we have a special guest with us. We have former Daily Aztec writer, current MLB.com writer as well, and Daniel Guerrero. How's it going, Daniel? Oh, hey, Brevin. Hey, Cal. Happy to join you guys. Good to see you guys again. Haven't really talked to you guys in a while, so uh, it's good to join the show. You know, long-time listener, first-time caller type thing. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to get talking. <laughs> All right. We're going to first touch on one of our first topics, and we're going to talk baseball. And one of the big things coming up within the next week is the trade deadline. And we talked about this last week, but Daniel, what do you see as one of the big teams that are going to be buyers um, coming up within the next week? Yeah, I mean, next week's probably going to be a big frenzy of names moving from, you know, reports that are out there. Uh, And obviously the contending teams are going to make a push to, you know, get to that next level and separate themselves from, you know, the teams that they're trying to, you know, take over in their division or in the wildcard race. Uh, but, you know, the Padres could be making moves. I mean, A.J. Preller has been somebody who, you know, we saw last year making moves even in the 60-game season. Um, this year they could be going after starting pitching just because of some of the injury setbacks they've had with, like, Lamette, Ryan Weathers, who they avoided with something really scary in that Rockies game. Uh, and then the Dodgers, too. Um they've lost Dustin May, they could be looking for another arm to add to their rotation. Uh, the Yankees obviously are always teams that are, it's always, it's always a team that's going to be out there, you know, trying to take it to the next level. And especially with a rough start they've had to this year, um, they could be looking for some outfield help. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens next week. Mm-hmm. And when you look at, you know, on the opposite spectrum, you think about those sellers, who do you think are some of those players that you possibly see being moved before next week, next week, Friday's uh, deadline? That's tough because there are some teams that have big pieces that they could give up, but it's just a matter if they're going to give them up. Um, obviously, the name that always gets thrown out there, that's been getting thrown out there is Max Scherzer from the Nationals. I mean, he's one of the top pitchers in the league started in the in the all-star game for the nl uh multi Cy young winner i mean this guy could be a huge difference maker for a team that tries to go out and get him but it's just a matter if the nationals are going to be willing to sell i mean that that's really the biggest case with a lot of teams i'd say of you know are they willing to move that piece just because you know max scherzer this is a contract year and you know he might want to stay in washington which you know, would be huge for them because they already have some good pieces in that organization. Uh, the Rockies are another team that's always been talked about with guys like Trevor Story and uh, CJ Crone, who could be a, you know, good bat to add to the team moving forward to play first base. Um, but, you know, it's just a matter of if the teams are going to, you know, just pull the trigger on that trade and let go one of the big pieces that they've had on their, in their organization. Um, yeah, I mean, they're, you know, it could be one of those years where somebody gets talked about a lot that he's going to move and maybe it just doesn't eventually end up happening. Mm-hmm. And too, when you think about this trade deadline, um, how big do you expect this deadline to be, even though we haven't seen that many moves um, just yet? Uh, I mean, just from 
seeing what other people like Mark Feinstein are reporting and just other uh, baseball, like, you know, the bigger names in baseball media. Uh, I mean, it seems like there's going to be a lot of action. Uh, seems like some big names could be on the move. Uh, I know guys like Chris Bryant could be potential trade candidates. Uh, that'd be interesting just because, you know, he's been with the Cubs for so long. He made the last out in that he recorded that last out in that World Series win in 2016. Um, you know, there are other guys out there like Joey Gallo who, you know, could be a potential trade piece, you know, really big bat and good outfielder. It's it's just interesting to see. I mean, it'll be interesting to see next week. Um, you know, everybody's saying that this week's going to be really slow and, you know, towards the end of next weekend's going to be really hectic. But, you know, it's really something just kind of to kind of wait and see on. Mm-hmm. All right, the trade deadline that is next week, Friday, July 30th, 1 p.m. Pacific time, 4 p.m. Eastern time. And we're going to move on here. And something a little bit hectic was the Padres last week going through a whole roller coaster ride of emotions last week, to say the least. Um, think about last week, Friday, just after we recorded our show on Friday. Um, they were up in Washington, first game out of the the all-star break and they come out and they put on a show that Padre fans had never seen before. They scored 24 wins, win by 16, and they score the 24 runs as a franchise single game record. On top of that, Jake Cronenworth hits for the cycle. He's the third player in Padre's history to hit for the cycle. And He's the third player in MLB history to play in the All-Star game. And then in his uh, following game uh, after the All-Star break to hit for the cycle, joining a couple of Hall of Famers of Joe DiMaggio and Brooks Robinson. Yeah, that all comes after a series in which, you know, the Padres kind of struggled at the plate and then they scored 24 runs in a game. So, uh, that was definitely exciting to see, and, and all of them really just got involved. And, yeah, definitely crazy being uh, a part of that franchise single-game record, just watching that. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Will Myers, who has one of the other uh, three Padres cycles, uh, he had two homers in the game, including a grand slam, which is the team's 13th grand slam since the beginning of the 2020 season last summer, the most of any team as well and really just finally good to see the bats roll out yeah absolutely I mean we've seen the Padres fair share of struggles whether that be on the mound or you know at the plate or especially earlier in the season but I mean yeah good start to the series and leading into that and uh, that really kind of continued Mm -hmm. Daniel when you look at this Padres team you've covered them a couple of times this year what has it been like to you know, kind of cover this team to see what it has potentially covered. Yeah, I mean, I've uh, in the role that I'm in, I cover a lot of different teams from around the league, and I've been able to cover the Padres a few times down at Petco Park. And, you know, they have obviously some superstar players like Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado. Drake Cron- uh, Jake Cronenworth is somebody who honestly could be one of the, you know, top players at his, at his position in the league in the years to come. I mean, he was an all-star this year, and mm-hmm. we've already seen what – he's able to do come out of the all-star break and he's able to play a bunch of different positions and he's a great fielder. Uh, and then, I mean, just that starting pitching has just been something really interesting with that team, just cause they came into the year 
loaded with arms. I mean, they had Blake Snell and Hugh Darvish. Uh, uh, they traded for Joe Musgrove as well. So that rotation really matched up with the best in the league. It could have been, you know, people looked at it as the as the best starting five around baseball. Um, and they just had some up and down moments. I mean, Joe Musgrove had the no hitter, and Hugh Darvish has been an All Star. Uh, but unfortunately, like Blake Snell has just had some tough outings, uh, and then he had setback with stomach uh, sickness. Uh, Ryan Weathers has been a bright spot for them, and he came in in a spot where Lamette was uh, – he had a delayed start to his season from an injury from last year. And uh, Ryan Weathers looked good in his you know first stint with the big, a big league club. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this team, it's a team that could, you know, be – taking home the commissioner's trophy in October. Uh, that's really kind of what it is. I mean, whether which way you look at it, I mean, top to bottom, they have a really strong lineup. They have a lot of versatile players. Uh, they're pitching, even though with those setbacks, starting pitching has been pretty good. Uh, you know, and they're hopefully going to get Denilson Lamette back at some point in August. Uh, like I said earlier, Ryan Weathers avoided a pretty scary injury in that Rocky series. And... You know, he's supposed to be back soon. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's just a great team. I mean, that's really all it is. Mm-hmm. We saw how much emotion that brought positively for the team on Friday last week. But then you think about the next day, it was a whirlwind of emotions last weekend from Friday night to Saturday in the nation's capital. Things were looking good for the Padres. They had the 5-4 lead heading into the sixth inning. And then things changed you know, what people thought was the worst. Right out, right outside Nationals Park, across the street on the third base side of the stadium, there was a shooting incident that happened and it, it wounded three people, you know, but for how loud those gunshots were, it sounded like this, the it was coming from inside the stadium. You see people taking cover. You see, you know, players uh, from both sides really, um, opening dugouts to fans, you see, you know, all these different uh, things happen. And the game was suspended. It was finished on Sunday before the regularly scheduled nine in the game. Oh, my God. Again? Okay. I'm going to do that again. Yeah. You cut off for like 10 seconds. I did. <laughs> I did. Tell me these intros are too long for this thing. But okay. <laughs> I saw that too. Okay. Here we go. Three, two, one. All right, it is a roller coaster of emotions from Friday night to Saturday night as um, yes, as the Padres played game two of their three-game series against the Nationals in D.C. Pod- the Padres started out well despite, you know, just one rough inning from Blake Snell who started that game. But but the big, big moment of the game came, big moment of the night came during the sixth inning when there were gunshots being fired just outside uh, Nationals Park on the third base, just outside the third base gate. You see people fleeing for their lives. You see uh, people hiding in between the seats. You see people running into the dugout. You see players getting their families. And as a result, um, luckily the shooting incident happened outside the stadium as I mentioned. There were three people that were wounded. And, and the game was suspended and was finished on Sunday before the regularly scheduled nine in the game, but Kyle, what was your reaction when you were hearing all this, um, all this stuff go down? 
Yeah, a crazy moment, especially, you know, in the middle of a baseball game, you hear gunshots ring out. And in that moment, you know, your first reaction is to always, you know, fight or flight, basically, at that point. So um, to have them in that position, um, tough to see, but also um, really cool to see a lot of the players, you know, step up during that moment and, you know, um, take some people to safety in the dugout and um, just show people what to do or where to go in that moment. So, um, yeah, obviously very hectic, but, um, you know, fortunately it wasn't inside the stadium and um, obviously feel for those people that were injured, but um, luckily no one died. So, <laughs> Daniel, when you, when you were hearing this um, happen, what was, what was your reaction? Um, what was going through your head? Um, it's obviously something scary, something bigger than the game itself, just because, I mean, people's lives are at risk in scary situations like this. I actually got a message from our friend Trinity, who's, you know, out in DC, who lives in DC, um, you know, about it. I, I didn't know what was going on until she texted me just because I was covering the Mets that weekend uh, from home. And then, yeah, I mean, I saw reports of what was going on. And then I saw videos of, you know, people kind of running towards the concourse. And there's you know, a video of uh, Patrick Corbin from the Nationals even kind of walking around there. Um, it's just a scary moment for fans, for players, for every, for employees especially, um, just because you don't know what can happen. Um, and like you said, uh, fortunately, uh, it was only three people that were wounded. I mean, but fortunately, um, it, this is a situation that you look at that could have been a whole lot worse. Um, but you know, there were obviously like some selfless acts like some of the Padre players running out to bring whether it was family or just letting fans into uh, the dugout to take shelter just because I mean there's not a whole lot of places you can go in a stadium but uh, I mean it's just a scary sight to see yeah when we look at um, you know we're talking about um, Trinity Bland Daily Aztec um, 2021, 2022 managing editor. You know, I think the what the big thing from looking at this, I think when we when we hear, I think the day after, when we hear the press conferences from the coaches, and you know, even hearing the reactions from some of the players, I think um, you see uh, you know on the national side with uh, Dave Martinez making sure everyone's okay. That was in the dugout. You see Padres manager Jay Singler you know, talking about what it meant to see players like Fernando and uh, Manny and Profar and Vomar still run out and, you know, get people into the dugout and things like that. And you see what, you know, it's not just, you really got to see that these these players weren't just ball players, but you got to see them as people. And I think that was kind of one of the things that really was seen during that time um, in those in those moments all right we're going to move on we're going to talk some angels baseball and angels if they have a good week they could be buyers at the deadline uh, we've seen the new the newly called up top prospect for the angels um, Kyle let's talk about um, the angels new top prospect being called up yeah, Brandon Marsh, he's uh, done some great things uh, the past week after getting called up. Um, obviously, being one of the top prospects, that's what you would expect out of him. And um, I think a lot of Angels fans not only like the way 
he looks on the field so far, but also his appearance. He kind of gives that mountain man vibe a little bit, <laughs> long beard, long hair. Um, but yeah, obviously so far four hits and 11 at bats. Um, he's been a bright spot so far, so hopefully that continues. And, and, you know, obviously with the return of Mike Trout pending, um, that could be a solid, uh, outfield out there with Upton Trout, uh, Marsh even, uh, obviously there's a couple other guys on the bench as well, but, uh, Daniel, I wanted to get your thoughts on Brandon Marsh. Um, how we how he's looked so far and and what you expect from him um as a prospect i mean yeah i mean he's looked good at the plate um he went over in that first game but you know definitely looked good in in that opening game in oakland um i mean just in this kind of where the angels are outfield wise i think he's a really big uh piece for them just because they've had some injuries like you mentioned with Trout uh, like you mentioned uh, Justin Upton who's been out for a while longer than probably the organization felt uh, thought I mean so you know he could be making a comeback soon just because he started his rehab uh, assignment and the Angels have made do with uh, some infielders who have have some versatility to play the outfield I mean guys like Taylor Ward has been manning holding it down out there uh, same thing with Ken Wong for a bit and Jose Rojas, Luis Ronquifo, Phil Gosselin. I mean, just a lot of guys who have been kind of piecing together this uh, absence of Trout and Upton. And the Angels are just kind of hanging around there. They're a couple games under 500. Like you mentioned this weekend, if they have a good series against Minnesota, they could potentially be in that position to make a move to help them. But I mean, the biggest move that they're getting is adding Mike Trout back, and that's at no cost because, you know, he's been on the IL since May. Uh, obviously, that was another injury that, you know, really held them back. Um, Otani's been shouldering the load for them a lot offensively, and he's looked really good. And just to have Trout back with the way David Fletcher's been hitting as well, um, that's just a huge get for them. That can really boost them and kind of help them make this push. Whether they become sellers, um, that's obviously something that it would be, you know, close to watch because um, as far as prospects go, I mean, you already called it Brandon Marsh and he's your number one prospect. So, you know, that's somebody that would be tough to give up. Same thing with Joe Dell, who we saw debut last year. Uh, Reed Detmers is, you know, their top pitching prospect and probably is untouchable just because pitching has always been a need for them. And uh, it would be, you know, really, really tough situation to give up this guy that you've had in your system for a while uh but i mean who knows what, what could happen um mm -hmm. we the angels i mean maybe reed detmers makes a debut this year um that's been kind of talked about uh he just got promoted to triple uh triple a salt lake which was mm -hmm. just announced by the organ, uh, organization uh, same thing with chris rodriguez who was a bright spot out of the bullpen early on uh, and went back down to just get some work in and he's also called it Triple A. So I mean, those guys could be impact arms for them. Maybe, maybe trading isn't a move for them, but you know, calling up these guys who they've been priming for the spot, that could be kind of the push they use to to get them into that wild card race. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm just now seeing the uh, Detmers and Rodriguez announcement to Triple A. So um, that's definitely exciting. And yeah, to your point, um, Angels in a good spot right now, all things considered. 
Um, 46-48 record, four-game series against the Twins this weekend. Um, and right now, currently, 10-and-a-half back of the Astros, who lead the West. Um, but um, I, I also wanted to ask Daniel, I mean, what do you think, if, if the Angels do elect to, you know, make a push at the trade deadline, um, obviously starting a starting arm is what they're going to be looking for. It always has been, it seems like, but... Um, are there any uh, possible uh, prospects or uh, potential trades, um, guys that kind of stand out to you um, that the Angels could target? Uh, I mean, that's tough to say just because the Angels might want to hold on to some of those guys that they've been building up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously the biggest arms out there might be a little too costly just because you know, a lot of, like, Max Scherzer would kind of be a rental, and you don't know if he's going to be back next year. Uh, Kyle Gibson from the Rangers has had a good year, but, I mean, who knows if the Rangers would want to trade in their division, and uh, I mean, and who knows how much you have to give up for him. Um, so, obviously, starting pitching has been always something that, at least in the last few years, that uh, the Angels have been on the hunt for, and uh, they've had some, you know, good outings this year, especially from Otani. Uh, and um, Patrick Sandoval has been somebody who, in a sense, kind of came out of, not came out of nowhere, but just he didn't see, he, he wasn't in the rotation to start the year, and he's made his way into there, and he's been a good piece for them lately. Um, mm-hmm. But as far as uh, making moves and who they could target, I mean, that that's something that, you know, we kind of don't know right now, just because it, it really, I think it depends on how much they want to give up. And how much they want to give up is tough just because you, some of these guys are expected to be up soon. Yeah, so, I mean, whether they make a move would be interesting just because some of the arms that are out there, like Max Scherzer, would probably come at a high cost just because the caliber pitcher he is. Maybe a guy like Cal Gibson from the Rangers, who's had an all-star year, um, might be in consideration for the Angels to look at, but... uh. I mean, it just depends on how, many, how much you have to give up. Uh, you've got mm-hmm. some guys in this organization that they've built up and guys that they've drafted. And, you know, they're on the brink of, you know, cracking the big league team and making the impact there, um, which would be, you know, interesting to see, uh, you know, as we get closer to the trade deadline. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, the last thing I kind of want to talk to you about um, in regards to the Angels is uh, David Fletcher, Obviously, um, had a great month, had a great July. Um, 26-game hitting streak that came to an end, but um, he's starting another one already. Um, what did you think of that, Daniel, and uh, um, how important was that, really, just this entire past month? You know, unfortunately, I wasn't able to be on any Angels uh, Angels coverage on that side. I mean, I covered visiting team for uh, a few games during that streak. Mm-hmm. Um, and just David Fletcher's one of the best, you know, pure contact hitters in the game. I mean, last year he led the league in uh, contact rate, I think. And, you know, he, uh, you know, just kind of went on a tear that, you know, not, not many Angel players have had. I mean, the club record, I think, is 28 games straight by Garrett Anderson. And he, you know, came close to it. Uh, he had, a, in a sense, a down first couple months of the year to his standards. And, I mean, in the last couple months he's shot his average back up to 315 he's around the league leaders in uh around the american league lead and hits um and i mean he's just been 
almost, you know, a force. I mean, he doesn't, when you look at the numbers, you don't look at a guy who hits for power, which is fine, just because that's not his game. Um, David Fletcher, you know, is a guy who's going to get on. He's going to, you know, get those weird bloop singles and, you know, 34 mile an hour exit velocity infield hits. Um, you know, he <laughs> fletches things in a sense, which uh, is obviously something that, you know, in today's game, maybe you don't value as much just because, you know, he's not, uh, you know, barreling balls as much, but he's a guy that's been a huge piece for them. I mean, we've seen what he's been able to do in the past and for him to pick it up right now, just like we mentioned before with Trout coming back soon. Um, yeah. To have a guy who's getting on base at the rate he's getting on for him and for Otani, um, that's just going to be huge for them. Daniel, what's it like, you know, we we brought up Shohei Otani, you know, obviously with the All-Star game, the Home Run Derby, you know, over the last few weeks. Daniel, from your eyes, what's it been like to see Otani perform the way he has, both, you know, hitting the ball with 34 homers, but also pitching with a sub-4 ERA? It's crazy because it's felt like a long time coming. I remember when the Angels signed him in 2018, and, uh, I mean, that's what, yeah, talked about. It was the Babe Ruth of Japan, and, I mean, I felt like we kind of underestimated how good he would be which seems kind of weird. And in the first year, we didn't get to see a whole lot of it just because he didn't pitch. Or he didn't hit on the days he pitched. He didn't hit the days before or the days after. Um, and then he had to have Tommy John surgery midway through the year, but still ended up hitting and won the AL Rookie of the Year award. Uh, and then so because of Tommy John, we don't see him in 2019 pitch. And then in 2020, he makes his return, but his command wasn't there, and they ended up shutting him down after a couple starts. Um, so to see what he's done this year, it's just literally, it's unprecedented. I know we've used that word a whole lot in the last year, but I mean, that's really what it is. Um, it's And it's not just that he's hitting and he's pitching, it's at the rate that he's doing it. I mean, he's doing both, you know, consistently and doing both consistently well. Um, I mean, it's just insane. I mean, and especially when you go to the stadiums on his starts it's just like a whole different energy um there's a whole lot of i mean just the crowd just watching his bullpen session alone is pretty remarkable um when he comes up to bat you know everybody's in their seats it's one of those things where you don't go to the bathroom or you don't go to get a drink just because otani's up to bat or he's going to come up to bat soon um and i mean it's something that we haven't seen in 100 years when Babe Ruth is the last one to do it, and it might be something that we've never seen before just at the rate and how well he's playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Shohei Lutani doing it all, basically. Mm-hmm. We're going to move on to our our segment of Fair or Foul. And over the past few weeks, you've seen us talk about, you know, this ideas such as the shift in baseball. You talk as we, last week we talked about seven inning double headers and having the runner on second base in next innings. Today we're actually going to be doing a fair. We're going to be doing a fair or foul literal um, thing that came up, and this was actually at a game Daniel was covering at. Um, it was between the Mets and the Pirates last weekend, and it was. <laughs> Uh, on a night or on a day after the bench is cleared as well, right, Daniel? Um, is this the the foul ball or the yes, uh-huh. not foul ball? Technically, it was fair, but it was, it was the, fair. Taiwan, yes. the Taiwan Walker play. Yes. Um, uh-huh. So that was a Sunday finale, but the bench's clearing incident was Friday with Marcus oh, Stroman right. and okay. uh, Nagowski. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, so that, you know, it's been a pretty, up until that point, it's pretty wild weekend uh, out in Pittsburgh. But the game on Sunday, Pirates are already up 3 nothing in the first inning. And um, you think about that, where that game is, 3 nothing already for Tyjon Walker. And batter comes up. He hits a ground. He hits a little chopper between first and third, probably about 30, 40 feet. And you know, Tyjon Walker picks up, thinks it's foul, but then you see the home plate umpire call it fair. The third base coach for the Pirates is on top of it, and he's sending runners home. And and all three runners score on a ball that <laughs> all three runners score on a ball that was hit 40 feet. Daniel, you're covering this game. It's the first inning. What is your reaction in terms of seeing this play go down? I didn't know what was going on. Uh, so, I mean, I'm watching from home just because I'm covering remotely. And Kevin Newman hits this little squipper down the third base line. And Tywin Walker flips it to the dugout. I mean, and we've seen that all the time where players flip balls that they think are foul just because, I mean, it's a foul ball. And it was ruled fair. And now the bases are clearing just because third base coach from the Pirates is waking everybody in. Kevin Newman ends up on second. In the postgame, he even said um, that, you know, he was kind of confused what was going on. He just heard somebody say, go to second, go to second, and wound up going to second base on an infield single that brought in three runs. Um, and just at that moment, it was just, I mean, it was just a crazy weekend um, for the Mets just because they had some uh, unfortunate news with injuries with Lindor and DeGrom. And they lost on, uh, was it Saturday night with, on a walk-off grand slam that Edwin Diaz gave up. Um, and then they start the first inning the next night with one of the most unusual plays that we've seen this year. Um, it's just one of those plays that it just happens in the moment and you probably aren't going to see again or aren't going to see it for a while. Um, and then the Mets end up pulling off the 6 nothing comeback and, you know, avoid a sweep of the Pirates with this Michael Conforto go-ahead home run in the ninth. I mean, it's just one of those games where it started off really crazy and ended really crazy. Mm-hmm. How, did, how did that play? You know, and then we see uh, – I'm going to come back to that question. And then we see um, Mets manager uh, Luis Rojas get, eje- get ejected and a two-game suspension, but – you know, we, we, we saw, uh, how does this play compare to uh, the play that happened earlier at PNC Park with Javi Baez legging out a double on a rundown? I don't know. It's so weird. I mean, I remember that play even happened. Uh, I saw it on the way to commencement. I was in the car and was just on Twitter and people were talking about this play. And I've never seen anybody get into a rundown between first and home. I mean, because it's, I mean, (laughs) you just don't see that. Um, Obviously, it's very on brand for Javi Baez and, you know, El Mago and the magic stuff that he is able to do. Um, But, I mean, just PNC Park has been home to some of the most crazy plays that we've seen all season. (laughs) Yeah, for those that don't know, um, this is back in May. Javier Baez, there was two outs. That, that's the other thing that stands out is that there's two outs in the inning. He hits a, he hits a routine grounder to third. 
and the third baseman throws it to first. It's a little wild. And the first baseman for the Pirates goes and tries and tags Javi Baez, but Javi Baez doesn't let it tag him, so he starts trotting back to home to let the run score. <laughs> and the run scores, I'm pretty sure it was Wilson Contreras that scored uh, Cubs catcher. And then, so Javi Baez then takes down for first base because he still hasn't been tagged out. And so the second baseman comes in, pretty sure it's Adam Frazier. He comes in, he tries to catch the ball on the run, basically. The ball tips off his glove, he gets away. And Javi Baez runs to second, and he gets a he gets pretty much a hundred foot infield double, basically. <laughs> when all the Pirates had to do is touch first base. Uh, crazy things happening at PNC Park. Well, as they say, you never know what's going to happen at the ballpark. That's been holding true for PNC Park this year. <laughs> One day you have a walk-off grand slam. The next day you score. You have a base clearing infield single on a ball that goes 40 feet. Never know what you're gonna get. No, Kyle. What was your reaction when you when you saw that play um, last weekend at PNC Park with the uh, with the bases clearing infield single? Uh, well, I was more confused about why Taiwan Walker started walking away after he just shoveled it. You know, out of play, basically, at that point. He, it was obviously it was obviously a fair ball, and uh, he didn't even recognize it. And he just kept walking back to the mound at that point, so that was pretty funny. But, yeah, definitely an odd moment, pretty confusing. Um, yeah, that's something you don't see very often, so. All right, we're going to move on here. We're going to move away from baseball. We've had – we're going to talk some NBA finals with the NBA – uh, finals concluding earlier this week in game six. As you hear, as the game is coming into into the end, you hear Bucks in six on the fans, and what a series it was! Oh yeah, it was a great series, and I mean, just absolutely fantastic performances from Giannis. Down 0-2 in the series. The Bucks win the next four to top off with a 50-point game from from Bucks Bucks forward Giannis Antetokounmpo, 50 points. He had 14 rebounds. He had added five blocks. He shot 16 of 25 from the field, and he made more free throws than he did baskets, making 17 of 19 at the free throw line. Kyle, when you when you watched this game in Game Six. What was your reaction seeing Pima Giannis take over? Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. He has done that so many times in his career, but to see him do it every game in that final series was absolutely crazy. I mean, it's it was crazy what he did. I mean, that's really the only word I could use. And the fact that he, he was not able to be stopped in any way possible with Devin Booker, um, I feel like the Bucks really figured him out defensively, um, having defenders switch off and uh, double teaming him as well. But I mean, you just you can't stop Giannis. There's not another guy on the Suns or really any team that could guard him. So, I mean, that was really cool to see. But I, I know that uh, Daniel, you've been following some NBA um, a little bit more than you have in the past. I mean, what do you think about the Bucks taking the ring? 
Uh, I mean, they're down 2-0. They come back and win four straight. I know I joked about this in our group chat that that Suns and Four guy kept saying Suns and Four when the way the season ends for them is losing four straight. Um, Giannis, man, he's just he's just a whole other thing. Um, already two MVPs, Defensive Player of the Year, and an NBA Finals to go along with his NBA Finals MVP. I mean, it's. I mean, it's just this whole another world level of dominance uh, that he's shown. Um, and now if I ever order chicken nuggets, I'm going to call them chicken minis like he did in his Instagram live. <laughs> you know, drops drops 50 and then goes to order 50 piece the next day. I mean, that I mean that guy's just having the time of his life right now. Not 49, not 51. Not 51, 50 chicken minis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another number of 50. It's also the first NBA championship for the Bucks. In 50 years, dating back to 1971, where Lou Alcindor, who eventually became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Oscar Robinson, won it all um, back in 71, too. So there's another 50 uh, for a little by the numbers. Yeah, I mean, 50 years, and what a special moment. And you know what? I don't think they're going to have to wait another 50 to get another championship. I mean, um they have a solid team right now, but, I mean, Giannis is obviously leading the way, and, I mean, he, he proved he's the best player in the league at this point. I mean, just sensational performances, and, and that's on both ends of the floor, too. And all the moments that you're going to remember from this final series is really all happened through Giannis. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, just in the manner that they won this championship, too, um, with the team they built around them, I mean, I know everybody's talked about guys like Chris Middleton who, you know, had some time in the G League and then has now risen to become an all-star and a key player. And Drew Holiday, who I remember a lot of people questioned who if this was the piece that they should have added for Giannis because um, there was a whole speculation of Giannis getting traded. Maybe it was to the Warriors or, you know, or he was going to get dealt somewhere else or he was going to walk at the end of his contract. And they add Drew Holiday and everybody questions it and they instantly win a ring. Um, and I mean, it's cool to see that drought end. Uh, it's definitely cool to see other teams rise to this moment and you know hang up banners. Uh, but I think this finals had, a, I mean, not just this finals, but this playoffs alone had a lot of um, new things that we haven't seen. I mean, we saw the Clippers come down from 2-0 series twice and win, and then almost came back against the Suns. Um, we saw some teams we haven't seen in a while, like the Hawks and. Uh, we saw the Knicks make the playoffs finally. Uh, we saw, you know, how Madison Square Garden is going to look, you know, in those games. Uh, I mean, it was just, it was, I think it was just a fun playoffs all around. What did it mean, you know, you think about Giannis, you know, wanting, you know, deciding to stay in Milwaukee, not really wanting to be part of the super team, you know, make a big three like we've seen in the past with LeBron, Chris Bosch, um, you know, D-Wade, you know, what does it mean that, you know, and Kyle and Daniel, both of you can answer this, what does it mean that, you know, Giannis decides to stay where he was drafted and, you know, got him win a championship on his own? Yeah, I think it shows how much he invested into the process. I mean, he and he tweeted about it, I think it was in 2017, how he wants to, he's not going to leave until he brings Milwaukee a championship. And, I mean, I feel like it means even more for Milwaukee. I mean, being a smaller market compared to others and uh i mean like you said 50 years since you last won a title so um for him to 
really buy in there and and uh, just be invested in, in the whole process. I think it, it's it's paid dividends and um, you know obviously that supermax extension that he signed. Uh, um, he's going to stay there for a little bit uh, longer at least, and uh, I think really decent around him with a decent group like Daniel said. Getting Drew Holiday was huge. You get him a good uh, supporting cast. I mean, they're going to be in that position every year. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just overall one of those storybook type endings. But there's this might not even be the end of you know their championship run, which is crazy. Um, I mean, and you know when guys talk about when guys sign and are there for the long term, it's nice to see this reward and see them you know reach the mount the top of the mountain, re- get them to the peak in a sense. Um, and for Giannis to get there and for the Bucks to do this as an organization, I mean, that's just something you you see in movies and you it's even it feels better to see in real life just because, you know, it rewards pretty much everybody in the organization. It rewards the city and the fans who have been standing by them for so long. Um, and, you know, I mean, like Kyle said, and Giannis could be there for a bit longer, especially after that Supermax. And, you know, we could be seeing them in the finals more times down the road yeah i'm looking at the championship odds right now uh for next season and uh it opens at uh, nets plus 200 lakers plus 525 and then bucks plus 900 so um obviously they're in a good spot um being third ranked as a favorite to win next season so we'll see if they're able to get back to uh the finals yeah when i think about this championship you know, stay with me here. I felt like this championship kind of felt like the, the the when the Warriors won the championship back in 2015. I think when you know for them, you know, not winning uh, it's their first title in 40 years. You think about you know even though you know they have the three guys they drafted with Steph and Clay and Draymond. You know, it kind of felt similar to that. You know, even though you didn't, even though this series didn't worry about playing against LeBron for finals, it kind of felt like that because it's just, you know, what it took that season for the Bucks, you know, and you know, even though we knew that the Bucks they had changed their aspirations for the last three years, you know, it kind of felt similar to that 2015 championship run for the Golden State Warriors in a sense of, you know, it was only a matter of time. There, there are a lot of parallels with that too because um, with that Warriors championship, at least, I mean, with that Warriors championship, there were a lot of role players off that bench too and on that unit. Um, I mean, I know people question Iguodala winning and being named MVP, but I mean, he was a huge contributor for them. And he had other guys, especially in the years to come, like Sean Livingston, who, you know, in the next couple of years during their championship runs was also a huge producer for them. Um, and then you see that with the, you saw that with the Bucks this year. I mean, PJ Tucker, who, had who beat every one of his former Rockets teammates on his way to a championship. I mean, he used to beat Trevor Reza, he beat Chris Paul, uh, James Harden, and uh, oh, who was the last one? Or was that was that the four? But we saw P, yeah, we saw PJ Tucker, yeah, beat, yeah. beat all of the Rockets teammates, uh, yeah, but but PJ, yeah, but PJ Tucker was another guy who was a huge contributor and same thing with Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis Jr. who's uh, you know very animated on the court and was something to watch uh, 
But I mean, yeah, there are a lot of parallels to that squad in this team. Yeah, I think going on that point as well, you know, with with that Warriors team, I think that um, Steph Curry was right around, you know, the same age um, when he won his first championship. That Giannis was now. I think Steph Curry was twenty six and twenty seven when he got his first ring. I could be wrong about that, but um, I think that was right around the age in which he got his. So um, definitely cool to see, especially you know, seeing Curry go on and get a couple more after that. Um, and then already Giannis with, you know, the accolades that DG already mentioned, um, I think, you know, he's, he's in a very bright spot right now. So I definitely feel that Giannis' career could quite possibly emulate Steph Curry's in a sense at this point. Hmm. Now that the NBA Finals are over, now, you know, NBA general manager next focus is on the draft going on, you know, next week, um, it looks like Kate Cunningham will be the first pick by the Pistons. Do we all agree with that? Yes, sir. He's, uh, I think he should be the clear-cut favorite. Um, would probably be surprised if he didn't go first overall. So, um, yeah, he had a great college season and uh, obviously very talented. Yeah, NBA draft is next week. Um, pretty sure it's done. Thursday, uh, next week, a week from today on Thursday the 29th and, you know, it's a, another opportunity we could see former Asics get drafted in Matt Mitchell and possibly Jordan Shackle get drafted. Um, Kyle, you see you see at least one or possibly both of them get drafted? I think we could see both of them, um, but ultimately I, I think Mitchell will probably be the only San Diego State Aztec to be selected in this draft. I think that Jordan Shackle will be picked up as an undrafted free agent. Um, I think, you know, his, his scoring production um, at times could be a little inconsistent, so I feel like that's a reason why he dropped Shackle. I mean, those two did so much for the program here, so I could definitely see at least one of them being drafted. I think it'll be Mitchell, but yeah, an exciting draft as well. A lot of good prospects. This is a great class. All right, we're going to move on. It, uh, we have tomorrow are the opening ceremonies for the Olympics, uh, even though the games have already started for the 2020 Olympics being postponed a year. Uh, one of the big things making a return uh, to this year's Olympics is baseball and softball making a return. Daniel, what's your reaction to seeing baseball and softball making a return to the Olympics? I think it's really cool. Um, I remember, as I think it was 20, 2008, the last year that baseball was there. Um, and when I heard it was removed, I was kind of bummed out. But I mean, we had the baseball World classic, so we could see teams and players compete at the international level. Um, this year, we do get to see some familiar names. Um, Masahiro Tanaka is pitching for. Japan, Jose Batista is playing for the Dominican Republic, Ian Kinsler is playing for Israel. Um, and then I think the coolest thing is that we get to see some young stars too. Um, Julio Rodriguez from uh, the Mariners organization is playing for the Dominican Republic as well. And uh, to see, especially in baseball, some of these guys kind of make their returns and have these younger guys come up as well is really cool to see. And then softball as well. I mean, it's a sport that I honestly feel like gets overlooked a lot. Um, Team USA obviously is really strong 
Um, and then, I mean, we get to see, you know, another, we get to see a lot of quality teams and quality softball players out there. Um, and hopefully it can help elevate the sport, which, I mean, obviously is really cool. I mean, I, I've always, I mean, it's something that definitely needs to be given more of a spotlight. Um, you know, we even saw during the College World Series how popular it is and how, you know, how much ratings it draws on television. And to see this return back at the international level, uh, it's just obviously going to be huge for, for popularity. Mm-hmm. Kyle, what's your reaction to seeing baseball and softball make its return to the Olympics? Yeah, definitely really cool. I agree with Daniel. Um, I mean, those should be Olympic sports. Um, great to have them back. I watched some softball highlights. I think two nights ago on, on Sports Center, so that was cool for them to feature that too. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think they should be in the Olympics. And I was just looking through the U.S. baseball roster here. We got a couple familiar faces. Scott Kazmier is one of the pitchers. David Robertson as well out of the bullpen. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty funny to see. But um, yeah, I'm excited to watch some baseball as well. Hopefully, the U.S. is able to take the gold. Mm-hmm. Also on that. On that USA roster is Patrick Kivlihan, who's in uh, the Padres AAA affiliate for the El Paso Chihuahuas. One thing I want to ask you guys, you know, is, you know, we've seen a lot of Olympics now, we've got four or five at least now. I want you to tell me a favorite Summer Olympic team or Summer Olympic player. Oh, man, um, I think for player, team is kind of hard to say. Um, because I obviously want to see the, the men's basketball team do well. That's, that's, that's uh, a team I'll be looking out for, for sure. But in terms of a player, I'm going to go for Ashley Anderson. I think she's competing in this year's Olympics. I saw her um, in the qualifiers um, on the ESPN Instagram the other day, actually, and and she was she was winning. I, I can't remember exactly what she did, but she came back and she won a race. So that was really cool to see. Um, and obviously, I was able to cover her um, at San Diego State um, for her senior season. So uh, she won a lot of accolades that year. I'm pretty sure she was an All-American. Um, so if she is going to be competing in the Olympics, that would be awesome to see. I'll be definitely be rooting for her. DG, whose favorite Olympic team, you know, Olympic player, you know, looking back on it? Um. I know I mentioned Julio Rodriguez a little while ago. I mean, he's a Mariners number two prospect. So, I mean, it's going to be really fun to see him play at that level. Um, but uh, outside of baseball, I think one of the more interesting players to see at this in this Olympic Games, I think it's going to be Luka Doncic. Uh, we've seen him do what he can do in the NBA. And I think it would be very, very interesting if uh, somehow Slovenia was able to match up against the USA team just I mean we've seen him single-handedly take down teams on his own and just the thought of him matching up against guys like Lillard and Durant and Tatum and and basically have to lead his team over them I think that's going to be something that would be fun to watch uh so I mean yeah I think Luka Doncic I mean if if we get that matchup, I think that's just going to be something to, to watch for just because of how special of a player he is. And when I think about a favorite Olympic team, I think about a duo that's really changed their sport and really put their sport on the map. And that's, and that's beach volleyball. I think about 
you know, Misty May Trainer and Carrie Walsh and what they've been able to do for four Olympics to win Olympic gold four straight times. It's really tough to do. You know, you think about what they've been through. Um, you know, it's one of the more fascinating stories that you see out of the Olympics. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, to see them go through injury together, to see them go through pregnancy together, but then you still see them win a gold medal, um, you know, with their final one coming in Rio um, now five years ago. I think, you know, when, I think that's kind of the favorite Olympic team that I have, you know, obviously Michael Phelps is in that discussion. You know, right now you have Simone Biles going on right now. I think, you know, the way those two, uh, Misty May Trainer and Kerry Walsh have, I think, really changed us for it. It's been really fascinating to see over the last, God, now 15 to 20 years. Absolutely. All right. That's going to be it for our show here on Down the Line. We thank Daniel Grove for joining us here today, um, here on Down the Line, our fifth episode here. Uh, Daniel, is there anything, any last things you want to say? Uh, no, I just want to say thanks for having me. Uh, for anybody listening, make sure to follow and subscribe to this podcast. Uh, Kyle and Brevin are two super cool dudes. A uh, couple of slimes who, you know, been, I've been able to get the pleasure to work alongside with at the Daily Aztec. Um, but yeah, I mean, just thanks for having me. Um, it's been really fun, really good to catch up with you guys. Sir, yeah, best of luck uh, covering baseball the rest of the way. It's yes. uh, definitely been exciting following you this season, man. Like, I never would have imagined, like, one year after um, you graduate, I already put your tweet notifications on on my phone. <laughs> so, um, yeah, keep up the good work for sure. Yeah, I'll keep, I'll keep that in mind to tweet out more interesting stuff other than score updates now that I know you're wrong. <laughs> Kyle, you might have just exposed yourself. Well, on that note, <laughs> on that note, that's going to do it for our fifth episode here on Down the Line. We thank Daniel for joining us here uh, as a guest. For Kyle and Brevin, this is Down the Line, episode number five. We hope you guys tune in next week. We're going to talk trade deadline. We'll talk NBA draft next week. And the first full week of the Olympics will be in the books. 